You're listening to audio from Century Baptist Church. To connect with us, visit centurybaptist.org or download the Century Baptist Church app. Father, as we, uh, as we stand here today in your presence, uh, we, we stand exactly like we just got done singing about. Uh, we stand with confidence and boldness and joy and peace and hope because we have the good news of Jesus. Father, I pray that uh, this morning as we um, kind of unpack this, this just great text that you've given to us, that, that you'd show each and every one of us as individuals what it is that, that you need to show us, what you need to speak to in our hearts. Uh, and so we, we just, we welcome you, Holy Spirit, to, to work. We also ask that you would also move us as a community in unity as we desire so deeply to follow this great commission you have for us to go and to take this good news out to the world. Father, we also, this morning as a body, we just, we want to lift up uh, the, we, we think of the, the state of Hawaii, we think of Maui, God, the, the incredible uh, impact that uh, has taken place through the devastating fires. Father, we pray for the families of those that, uh, that have lost loved ones. May you give them comfort. We pray for the so many families that they can't find loved ones. God, would you would you give them peace? Our prayer, Father, is that, is that you, would, you would raise up your people. May the church be true salt and light. May they go. May they serve. May they love. Um, and may they, may they bring uh, good news in the midst of devastation. And so, Father, would you work in that situation as well as in each and every one of our lives. As we come today, we're real people. God, we come with real stuff that's on our minds and our hearts, and we just ask that today that you would show us the truth in all of it. May we trust you. Amen. You can have a seat. Good morning, everybody. Uh, glad that we could be together. I just want to invite you, not that you necessarily need an invitation, but make sure that you come back next week. Uh, bring your kids. If you've got teachers in your life that you know, uh, bring them. They're about to start up school again. And uh, we're going to just uh, have a time next week where we gather in the service and we just kind of have words of blessing over them. And so our staff's been working on some, some stuff, but it would be a real encouragement uh, to the students and teachers and hopefully even and parents. Um, but uh, man, can you believe it? Summer is almost uh, over. Uh, let's not talk about it. Let's, let's get into the Word. Matthew chapter 17. As you're going there... Uh, um, Author, theologian, A.W. Tozer says, God's looking for people through whom he can do the impossible. What a pity when we plan only the things that we can do by ourselves. I, I, as, a, as a pastor, as one in ministry, uh, one of the, I guess, the blessings, the privileges of, of being in ministry is I get to have a front row seat oftentimes uh, at watching God do the impossible. Getting to hear stories from people who, who are just like, you're never going to believe what God has done. And, and, and at the same time, and being a, a shepherd, being a leader in a church, and, and, and being with other leaders as we pray about, God, where is it that you're trying to take uh, Century Baptist? Where is it that you're trying to take the ministry? What are you doing around the world? And where do you want us to fit in? And getting to go, okay, so this is where we're going. And, and, and then uh, for people to go, I don't know. Like, that, that sounds crazy. And, and, and we just go, yeah, but it's, but it's what God's called us to do. And we step out in faith, and then we watch God do something insane through it all, right? Just 
He blows our minds because we step out in obedience. And, and so to get to see that happen is, is absolutely uh, like one of the greatest, the greatest thing. The greatest impossible that, that we get to experience as we all have opportunities for is, is to introduce somebody to this good news of the gospel that we just talked about. It's folly to those that are, that are lost. And they don't understand it. And, and people don't come to Christ unless God calls them to Him. We're lost in our own selfishness and our own sin. And so to see somebody become convicted by the Holy Spirit, to turn their life over, to see Jesus as Lord and Savior and say, I'm, I'm in. I, I want to follow you. I don't want to follow myself anymore. That, that, any, there is no power of man that can make that happen. That is all the power of God. And to see that happen is the greatest experience that anyone can have. And so as we go and make disciples, we can see the impossible take place, but so often we don't get to see it happen because we just don't walk out in obedience. We don't trust that God is going to use us. We don't trust that God wants uh, to use us. What a pity, Tozer says, that we plan out only the things that we can do by ourselves. We need to be the kind of people that we go out in the power of God and we just watch the impossible take place. Matthew chapter 17, verses 14 through 20. Let me read these to you, and then we're going to just walk kind of through the narrative a little bit and then uh, drive it home. So let's stand together as we read uh, this text. When they came to the crowd, remember Jesus is with his three disciples, Peter, James, and John. They're up on a mountain. They come down. When they came down the mountain, came to the crowd, a man came up to Jesus And kneeling before him said, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is an epileptic and he suffers terribly. Often he falls into the fire and often falls into the water. I brought him to your disciples and they couldn't heal him. And Jesus answered, O faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him here to me. Jesus rebuked the demon And it came out of the boy, and he was healed instantly. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, Why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, Because of your little faith. For truly I say to you, if you have faith like a grain of a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, Move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. That's God's good word. You can have a seat So let's just jump right in. Jesus is coming down the mountain. Remember, he's up on the mountain with Peter, James, and John. He took those three specific disciples so that they would experience what took place. Jesus was transfigured before them. In other words, the glory of God, uh, his own glory, shone out of Jesus. He was seen for who he is. And then uh, Elijah and Moses appear. These ancient prophets, they're having a conversation with Jesus about his upcoming uh, journey to Jerusalem so that he would lay his life down on the cross, that he would die, he would be resurrected, he would conquer death. And they're having this conversation, and these three disciples are taking it all in. And just when you think it couldn't get any better, a cloud descends on the mountain, and God speaks and says, this is my son with whom I am well pleased. I love him. Listen to what he has to say. The experience ends. You know, Peter's, Jesus dumbfounded by it. He doesn't want to leave. Let's, let's build a camp up here. Let's all stay. You, Moses, Elijah, get tents. Let's just hang out here. This is great. Jesus says, you know, uh, we have to go. We've got to go down to Jerusalem. There's a, there's a mission that he's on. 
But as they're going down the mountain, remember, Jesus, we talked about it last week, says, don't tell anybody about what you just saw because they wouldn't understand it. They wouldn't believe it. It would cause all sorts of chaos. So here they get down to the bottom of the mountain, and what do they find? Chaos. It's just an absolute mess. Matthew, Mark, and Luke all give a narrative, uh, tell uh, about this situation of the, of the, the man and his son. Uh, Mark gives the greatest detail about it. Um, but, uh, so I want to kind of mash them up for you today. But they come down the mountain and there's an argument that's taking place. And the argument that's happening is between uh, the disciples of Jesus, the nine who didn't get to go up on the mountain, uh, the scribes or the religious leaders that are there, and then the rest of the crowd. And they're having a, a, this argument because no one can drive this demon out of this boy. Isn't it just like the enemy? That when you are seeming to have some type of a mountaintop experience, as we call it in our Christian faith, when, when we're experiencing God doing a good work, Satan is doing his work as well to distract, uh, to destroy. You come down off of the mountain. We always warn uh, in youth ministry, I always warn students coming back from a mission trip. Uh, I said, you know, when you get home, uh, don't expect everybody to be cheering you on like they were before you left. Life's gone on, right? The enemy's gone to work. Right. Um, whenever I would, I go on uh, some type of a, a ministry trip. I just know, you know, like all right, what's what's going to break? The furnace, the garage door. What car is going to break down? Because the enemy likes to go to work. When we're on the mountaintop, uh, he's working in the valley to try to ruin some things, and that's what happens. Is Jesus comes down, and Peter, James, and John are like, man, you guys aren't going to believe what we can't tell you. You know, and they're just they're just super excited about all this, and here they find just this mess. So this father, this dad, comes running out. He sees Jesus, and he runs up, and he falls onto his knees, and he claims that, I mean, he, he proclaims in his words that he believes who Jesus is. Lord, will you, can you help me? I'm desperate for you to do something about my, my situation. He sees Jesus for who he is. That's where, that's where salvation begins. Do you acknowledge Jesus as King, as Lord, and as Savior? And do you believe that, that He can and will do what He needs to do in your life? So He falls down on His knees and He says, My son struggles with seizures. Luke chapter 9 says that a spirit seizes him. And he foams at the mouth and, and, and the dad says, and it shatters him. It leaves him spent. It wants to throw him into the fires. It wants to throw him into the water. He can't control himself. The, the Greek word, we, we, get, we get the word epilepsy out of it. The Greek word is seleniosomai. It's a huge word, but what it really means, at its root, it means moonstruck. We understand that if you're in the medical field, you understand this. Because if you work in the ER, if you're a doctor, there's something about it. Scientists haven't been able to necessarily prove it all correct. But there's something about the moon, the full moon, right? That it just seems like, oh, full moon, going to be a full ER tonight. There's just stuff that happens. And so there was this ancient belief that, that based on, on the lunar calendar, that, that people's 
kind of affirmities, is that what it is? They, 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 they kind of rise up, right? And, and there's a struggle there. And that's where you'll find some translations say that he, the, the boy was, was a lunatic because that's where it's come, comes from the word lunar, that, that based on what's going on, there's something happens that, that sets him off and he goes into the seizures that, that want to kill him, that throw him in, he's going to drown, I have to save him, you can imagine, or I have to keep him, pull him out of the fire, we've had that experience. Can you imagine the brokenness of this father coming to Jesus? Would you please save my son? But it's not, it's not just about my son. Jesus, I, I need help. I'm exhausted. I'm spent. I, I, got, I have nothing left in my tank. And I brought my son to, to your disciples, and they can't heal him. Mark tells us the father said he's had this since he was a small boy, which, which we, we oftentimes, when, when we kind of claim that people are oppressed, possessed by the enemy, we, we think it's because they're, they're horrible people, right? We don't have anything to do with them. It has nothing to do with that. The enemy goes where he has permission. God gives him permission to go where he wants to go. He can't, he can't go into a believer, right? Scripture is very clear about that. You have the Holy Spirit. You have Jesus in your life. Uh, the enemy's not welcome in there, but he'll torment and he'll tempt. But here's a, a young boy that as a small child has had this this illness, this disease, and it's brought on by the enemy. He's possessed by a, a spirit that seizes him, tries to attempt to take his life. And I, again, like I said, like the father must be like, and he's, he's, he's taken my life as well because all I do is watch out for my son. Other people are never to be seen as burdens in our life. But at the same time, we're, as the body of Christ, one of the great things uh, that you get when you also get Jesus is you get everybody else. You get all the followers of Jesus because Galatians 6 says, bear one another's burdens, right? We're told to rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those who mourn. You get the body to come around you and to go, we're, we're here for you. We want to help and we want to support. We want to share the load. This man is dealing with seizures and he comes to the disciples and say, man, I need help. And they can't do it. There's, there are a number of, of great applicable points to this story today. The main one is, is our faith. But the one that, that stands out to me that I don't really hear taught much on this text, but something that just jumps out at me is, is that when Jesus comes down the mountain, the situation is, is that the religious leaders, the disciples, the crowd that's been following Jesus, they're all over here arguing, arguing among themselves, because Jesus asked that. We read that in, in Luke. What are you guys talking about? Well, we're arguing about why we couldn't drive out the demons. You can imagine what was being tossed around. Well, the reason you can't is because of this situation, or it's because I mean, your doctrine is wrong, your theology is wrong, blah, 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 and they're, they're going on and on. All the while, there was a child laying on the floor, foaming at the mouth, dying. A demon wants to take his soul, throw him into fires, and throw him into water. And there's a dad who's crying out, I need help, and nobody will help me. Well, where are the people? Well, they're over discussing why they can't do it. They're over here having their little discussion, their little religious gathering. All the while, there are people dying that need Jesus. Does it preach? 
preaches to my heart. It's convicting to me. We could do a whole lot less arguing, a whole lot less trying to prove each other wrong in the body of Christ, and a whole lot more looking for people that are dying to be saved. Jesus gets frustrated. Huh, I wonder why. He's, he's mad. He's angry. You can hear it. I, I love that in the previous verses we get to see Jesus in all of His divinity, all of His glory shining through on the mountain. And He gets down there into that valley off the mountain, and now we get to see Jesus in a whole lot of humanity. What in the world is His response, right? He just, how long do I have to be on this earth with you people anymore? Right? I mean, that, that's, that's what he's saying. How long do I have to bear with you? Here's, what I, here's I, just my interpretation of it. Jesus knows that he's going to Jerusalem. He's going to the cross. We know that he goes to the Garden of Gethsemane. Praise God, I, don't, I do not want to go through with this. But in this moment, it seems like he's just like, man, Jerusalem cannot come fast enough. You people. Where is your faith? Where is your action on that faith? It starts out, he talks about trust. You faithless and twisted generation, he says. He's talking to all of them. All of you. Disciples, scribes, crowd. You have no faith and you've twisted. The truth is twisted in your own mind and in your hearts. That you don't believe that, that God's going to work through you. That twisted means you're mentally and emotionally un, you're unsound. You don't have a firm foundation. You're not grounded in the truth. And he says, how long am I going to have to bear with you? i got to imagine part of his frustration, he's probably looking at the nine disciples. Going, man, I've invested in you. You have seen what I've done. I've empowered you to, to perform miracles. And you're not able to do this. Guys, I'm leaving soon. Right? I am leaving and I'm... I'm entrusting the reaching of the entire world to you. But it's not looking so good right now. How long will I bear with you? What is it going to take for you to believe and then act on that belief? But let's, let's, just, let's give the disciples, the nine, uh, just the benefit of the doubt. Because I put myself in their shoes. They weren't chosen as one of the three to go up the mountain with Jesus. And you have to imagine that they're down at the bottom and they're seeing something going on up there. And there's a bright light up there. But there's a cloud now. Man, there's like a, like a rumbling. You know, what, what was that voice that we just heard? And then Peter, James, and John are walking down just like, oh, this, that was incredible. And, and they're going, we're not up there. Are we not, are we not valuable? Are we not worthy? And probably doubted themselves. And... and and so when, when the time came and this man brings his son, they're like, look, we're not the guys you want are up there. Right? We, we, they maybe didn't believe in themselves, feeling rejected, feeling like maybe Jesus doesn't care. He's left us alone. There's so much, so much doubt that wreaks havoc on our, our minds and on our souls. What's interesting is that in Luke 9... He actually begins the chapter with Jesus sending the disciples out into the surrounding villages. And he says, I'm giving you everything that you need, all the power to drive out demons and to heal all of diseases. 
I think Luke is trying to, to kind of paint a, a really great picture for us. The chapter begins with him telling his disciples, I'm giving you everything that you need to do it. And they go out and do it. Now here they are, and they come back and they've forgotten. They forgot about the experience that they had, the power that they had, uh, the, the authority that Jesus had given them to do what it is that, that they could do, and he's not there. They weren't included, right? I'm, I must not be somebody special, and everything just washes away. They probably just got down on themselves. They listened maybe to the, to the scribes, the critics, the crowd, and started to doubt, and they couldn't get it done because the, they, allowed, they allowed the outside voices to be greater than their faith. Why couldn't we do it, Jesus, they asked him. And he tells him, he says, well, because of your faith, you had none. Our, our translation says little faith, but that's really what he's saying is because you, you're faithless. You, you tried to act without faith. Or, or more clearly, uh, you lost your confidence in me, Jesus is saying. You took your eyes off of me. Hebrews 11.1 1, Gives us a, a great biblical definition of what faith is. It's the assurance of things hoped for. Conviction of things not seen. It is, I am 100% convinced that there is a God. There's a God at work. There's a God who's strong and powerful. And He can do what I think is impossible. Faith is believing in Him. And trusting Him to do what it is that He says He will do. But it's not it's not an immobile belief. Faith is not just sitting on a couch going, yeah, I believe that there's a God. Yeah, I believe. Because what we find if you continue to read through this great hall of fame in the book of Hebrews chapter 11, moving on all the way to, th to 13, is this long list of people who, who when they're mentioned, starts with by faith. By faith, Abel brought sacrifices to God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. By faith, Noah, on the, in the driest of seasons, started construction on a boat when there was no threat of a flood in the sky. He moved. By faith, Rahab brought in the spies into her house when it could have cost her life. Every one of those, we read through this great hall of fame of people. It, it says, by faith, they did something. That's key. It's huge. Faith is not just something that you, that you just believe, that you have. Faith is also acting on that belief in a full confidence that God is going to do what, what He says that He's going to do. In Luke 9, uh, the father of this boy uh, comes to Jesus, and what he says is, if you can find it in yourself to show compassion on me and my son, would you heal him? That's faith. Faith is, is I believe that you can do it. I believe that you're Lord. I believe that you have the power. I believe that you can. And then what he says is, I'm just asking, would you do it for me? And, and Jesus says, 
all things are possible for those that believe. And the beautiful line, just a transparent human, I believe. Would you help my unbelief? I, I believe that you can do it. I believe that you have the power. I believe that you can heal diseases and you will heal my son. I just don't, I just don't know if, if I'm worth it. Right? I mean, that's what he's saying. I don't know. I don't, really, I don't believe that I'm worthy. I don't believe that you, that you necessarily would want to do it for me, but that's what I'm asking. And Jesus instantly heals his son because of that man's trust in Christ. I believe you can. Help me believe that you will. He proclaims his faith. Jesus hears it. He heals it. And that's the point. Man does not heal. Man doesn't trust his own power to see great things happen. We trust in a great God who does great things. And then we let him do it. Do you trust? And then do you trust in God's power? Joshua chapter 3. I love the, the story. Um, Moses had led the Israelites out of Egypt, it led them for years in their wilderness wanderings. Uh, and just before they are to go into the promised land, God tells Moses, you're not going. Uh, and Moses passes away. Uh, the, the baton is passed to Joshua. And Joshua has to now take up that role and lead the people into this promised land. But there's a couple things that are standing in their way. One is the Jordan River, and then there's the city of Jericho. And, and God says, you're going to go over, you're going to cross that Jordan, you're going to go to Jericho, and I'm going to give you this land. Now you can imagine maybe what's going through the minds of the people, like, how are we going to do this? We don't have our leader anymore. we got this new young guy. How is this going to work? What I love that takes place is that God tells Joshua he says, what you're going to do is tomorrow you're going to grab the, the priests and they're going to take the Ark of the Covenant. And I want them to go a ways out in front of the crowd because I want everybody to see that I'm leading them there. And, and they're going to, to go up to the shores of the Jordan River that during that season was at its highest peak. In other words, rapids and it was rushing. And he says, and, and not until they put their feet in the water is that water going to part. And I love what Joshua does. That next morning in preparation, before they go out, he tells the priests, he said, I want you to, to take the ark and I want you to walk through the camp. I want everybody to see. Because what, what that's, it's, it's trust building. It's faith building. It's confidence. God is going to go before us. He's here in the midst of us. He's done it before. He's going to do it again. And then the priests start walking and they get to the edge of that water. Can you imagine a current and rapids and rising waters, and everybody's supposed to cross over, and the crowd's probably like, I don't know, how are we going to, even if you were a priest, you're like, I, I, man, why did I take the front, you know? And, and, and Joshua says, get in, start walking. And as soon as they put the feet in the water, it says the water walled up like a dam. Can you imagine seeing something like that? But what it took was, it wasn't just waking up in that, that next morning. Like, all right, let's go, people, and let's stand here on the shore and wait till the water stops so we can walk across. It was, you got to get in the water by faith. 
you take action and you trust in the power of God to do what it is that he promises he's going to do. And Jesus, that's the point that that he's making here as he's trying to help the disciples to understand that it's about faith. He says, if you have the faith, even the size of a mustard seed, which says a lot about what he, how he viewed their, their faith that they had in trying to drive out the demon. None. Because the mustard seed is the smallest seed that you could possibly really imagine. He said, but if you have faith of a mustard seed, you'll be able to even say to a mountain, move from here to there, and it'll move. And Jesus says, and nothing will be impossible for you. What I love about this is it, we've got to debunk the old myth that the reason God's not working in your life is because you don't have enough faith. Jesus doesn't say that there's a certain level you have to have. He just says you have to have some. You can get just a little, a little faith. And you can move mountains. If you have none, nothing will happen. If you have a small amount, you can move mountains. Oh, what you could do if you had a lot, full, a full trust and a faith that God would do the impossible on the things that your mind would say, no way. So they come down uh, the mountain. I think Jesus is just using the illustration of what's there. They came down the mountain. I don't know. You have some faith. You could even tell this mountain to move. But let me help you maybe understand another way of looking at this. Um, I thought of this when when I was on a trip to Israel. Because Jesus has now entered into a time uh, where everything that he's doing is he's helping the disciples to understand your role is to build the kingdom of God. Your role is to build my kingdom, Jesus is saying, and I'm entrusting it to you. No wonder he's so frustrated. Man, how can I entrust this to these guys? I need them. They're going to have to do what they think is the impossible. We need to take this message to the entire world, and I can't have them fading away. I can't have them doubting themselves. I've got to have them trusting. And so he says, you could even move a mountain. And this would resonate with the people of the day because just south of Jerusalem, there's a place called the Herodian. We'll put a picture up here. And, and what this is on the right, uh, this is the ancient one of the many ancient palaces of King Herod, the one who tried to kill Jesus when he was born because he didn't want Jesus to be king, the king of the Jews, because he wanted to be king because not only did it get him fame and fortune, but he also wanted people to believe that he was a god. And so he built for himself these incredible palaces. Now, I know that doesn't look like much, but if you were to take uh, the, the walkway up to the very top of that hill and you were to look down inside, there is an incredibly beautiful palace inside of that mountain. And there are tunnels all the way inside that lead down to Herod's tomb because that's where he wanted to be buried. And, he, and, and this hill is visible from a lot of the city of Jerusalem. So that forever he could be enshrined and enthroned and people would say, oh, what a great man he was. But the interesting thing about this is there's two hills there. And before Herod uh, built his palace, the hills were the same size. Both of those mountains were the same size. What Herod did is he enslaved over a thousand Jews, gave them each a bucket, and one by one, one small pail of dirt at a time, they scooped from the top of one hill and they walked over and poured it down and they built that mountain. And it was as a shrine for Herod's glory. And people must have said, what are you doing? Like, this is impossible. But what he did was absolutely incredible. It's 
It's insane. There's a swimming pool at the bottom of that palace that that decides that you could sail multiple ships in it. I mean, this thing is magnificent. Jesus says, what if you didn't have to have a thousand people in a bunch of buckets? What if just the faith the size of a mustard seed, you could do what people said was impossible. You could move mountains to build my kingdom because that's what I'm asking you to do. That's what I'm entrusting to you. But you've got to trust that, that God's going to use you and he's going to do incredible things. Nothing will be impossible for you. But you can build my kingdom if you trust in the power of God. So let me just close with a point uh, that it's about faith is not just about trust. It's not just about power. But I'll just conclude by saying it's about time. And what I mean is it's time for us as the body of Christ to have faith, to do what it is that he's called us to do. Jesus has given us the great commission to go and make disciples. We will never stop talking about it because it's the one thing that he said, this is how we're going to reach the world. You and I are supposed to go out and to preach the good news to people and to raise up disciples who make disciples, who make disciples. And when the whole world knows, then the end will come. How do I have that kind of faith, though, that God would use me That God will reach the world by using people like me and the people that I'm in relationships with. I've heard some scholars say that a really great way of understanding uh, Jesus' illustration of the mustard seed is to go back to Matthew 13 when he gives the parable of the mustard seed. And he says, the kingdom of heaven is like a grain of a mustard seed, the smallest of seeds. But when it is planted, it it grows and it becomes the largest in the entire garden. That maybe when Jesus is telling the disciples to have the faith the size of a mustard seed, he said, when you do, and you plant it, and you stay true to it, and you care for it, it'll start to grow, and it'll grow, and it'll grow, and it'll grow, and that's what happens with our faith. That, that you just have to have a, a little bit of faith, trust, but, but you can grow into it, and your faith becomes greater, and then what God does through you becomes greater. So let me, just, let me just conclude with this. If you look at your, at your text, if you've been reading ahead and, I don't know, counting vowels like I always did when I was a kid, I'm like, when's this guy going to be done? Uh, you know, uh, uh, when, when you get to the end of the text today, verse 20, but look at the next verse. What, is it, what, what, what number verse is that in your Bible? 22, right? Some of you brought, you know, your great-great-great-great-grandma's Bible. It's got a 21 in there. But, but it goes from 20 to 22. There's, there's a verse 21 that's missing. And I won't get into all of it, but, but there's been a lot of discussion over a lot of years that the original manuscript of Matthew didn't have the, uh, a verse 21. But if you look at your footnotes, it's there. Mine says, some manuscripts insert verse 21 that says, this kind of faith never comes out except by prayer and fasting. Now, it's not saying that, that God didn't, the Holy Spirit didn't uh, anoint someone to write it down. We find it, actually. If you read through the other narratives of Mark, Mark has it in there. That's how Jesus concludes the story. He says, with faith you can move mountains. Nothing will be impossible for you. And this kind of faith only comes out through prayer and fasting. In other words, 
faith that you have and the acting on that faith, uh, there's, there's got to be a start to it. And where does it start? It starts by going back and trusting in the power of God and getting on our knees and praying. And the more we pray, because know this, if you, the more you pray, when you see answers to prayer, what does that do for your faith? It grows. And so the more I pray, the more I seek God's face, and the more I ask Him, do something great through me. Help me to do the impossible. And I keep my eyes open, and I see the impossible happen. You know what I do the next day? I jump out of bed going, let's do this again, God. I want to see greater things. And all of a sudden, the faith of a mustard seed becomes a massive plant. That's what Jesus is calling His disciples to. You are going to build my kingdom. I'm giving, I'm entrusting it to you. And what does he say in Matthew 28? All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go and make disciples. Baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Teaching them to obey all that I have commanded. And lo, I am with you always. The command is there for us to go and make disciples. But sandwiched in between is his authority and his presence. That's what builds our faith. We can go out. And we can look evil in the face, and we can go and we can preach the gospel, and we can love people who, who seem to be unlovable. Why? Because we've been given the authority of Jesus Christ, and He is with us. Do you pray for it every day? Do you pray, God, use me? God, would your power fill me? May the Holy Spirit use me to, to, to just speak when I don't even know what I'm supposed to say. But here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to step into the water of what seems to be the impossible, uh, things that I'm afraid of and terrified. I'm going to step in because I know that, that you're going to do something great through me. And that's what Jesus is calling his disciples to do. Let's not be a faithless and twisted generation. Let's not be the crowd that's over here arguing why people are dying. Let's step in and go, God, use me. I know you will. And I can't wait to see what it is that you want to do. Let's pray. So Father, today, may we apply these words to our hearts. Father, I pray that, that, that first of all, you just help us. As I know that so many of us, we just, we oftentimes, myself, I come to you, God, I'm praying, and I pray, and I pray, and I pray, and it doesn't seem like anything's changing, but then you remind me, but you're praying, and it's changing you. We're continually putting our trust in you. May we be the kind of people that we, we just every day, God, we trust in who you are, we trust in your power, and then we just live it out in obedience. So, Father, whatever it is that, that we need today, everybody here, whether it's we need healing, we need just um, our minds need to be settled down, our hearts need to be filled, may we trust that that's what, exactly what you will do. Help us to have faith. Help us... Uh, Father, in our unbelief, help us to be obedient by faith in all things. We love you. Amen.